All right, so um, we are in uh, verse 11, but I just want to remind us, um, we are at the tail end of the seven-year period um, that's going to come upon earth, known as the tribulation period. Um, Remember, in verses 1 through uh, 10 of chapter 19, we get a description of events prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. And I just, I want, again, I want to remind us that we will be a part of Jesus' second coming to this earth. We will be with him. We're going to see that this morning. The second half of the chapter, verses 11 through 21, is a description of the second coming and the events that are connected with our Lord's return to this earth. In fact, when we pray our Father, remember the Our Father prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, thy will be on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're going to see this will be the answer to that prayer where the beauty of heaven will be brought to this earth. And it's Jesus who will bring the beauty of heaven to this place. But before that happens, we know there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering in order to bring forth the beauty of his kingdom. And so notice with me in verse 11, I'm going to read down to verse 16. God's word says this morning, now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth, goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so who is this one riding the white horse? This is Jesus. That's right. Let me draw your attention real quick to verse 11. John, this is John. Remember, this is John the Apostle who is seeing, who's receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he tells us what he sees next. He sees heaven opened, and then he describes what he sees. So number one, the first thing that we learn is that Jesus will come from heaven. Do you guys see that? Jesus will come from heaven. He is currently seated at the right hand of the Father on the Father's throne. In fact, you guys may remember in Acts chapter 1, when Je- remember when Jesus ascended into heaven? Mount of Olives, he left. You guys remember that? Jesus had been with them, teaching them about the kingdom of God, and then he ascends into heaven, the clouds receiving him, heaven receiving him, and the disciples stood there, didn't they? Well, that's what Marvel means. Whoa, whoa, dude. Right? And, and then these two guys in white, 
probably angels are like, what are you, what are you guys marveling at? This same Lord Jesus will return how he went. He will return. He will come back to this earth. And he will come personally. He will come physically. He will return to planet earth. In fact, Job put it this way, Job 19, 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. It will be a fulfillment of Zechariah 14 when Jesus eventually stands on the Mount of Olives. I picture it like, remember when Rocky got to the top of the stair? You guys remember that? It's going to be way better than that. They'd be like, which Rocky? Rocky 15? Rocky? Not the bogus ones, like the grandkids of Rocky. I'm talking early on. Sorry. So our passage this morning gives us a sneak preview of what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 when we get a sneak preview here of the brightness of his coming or the splendor of his coming or literally the outshining of his presence. In fact, it says in Matthew, if you're taking notes, in Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to read it real quick. This is the Olivet Discourse. Jesus was on the Mount of Olives speaking to his disciples. And he said in Matthew 24, he said, immediately, check this out, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So what's going to happen? The lights, God's going to turn the lights out on planet earth. And when Jesus comes, when this scene comes to pass, Jesus will be the only one lighting the place up, the outshining of his glory. He'll be shining gloriously, and every eye will see him, even them who pierced him, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1. And so um, it's interesting, too, just to take note of this, is that um, we're going to see in just a moment who's going to be with Jesus. We're going to be with him. But there's a distinction, please don't miss this, there's a distinction between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. The rapture of the church, Jesus said he will come like a thief in the night. He will come unexpectedly at an hour we don't expect it and take the bride of Christ, take the church to the Father's house, to the place that he is preparing for us right now. At the second coming of Jesus Christ, every eye will see him and we will be with him riding, we're going to see in a moment, on horses. Amen. Amen. And it's going to be glorious. If you're taking notes, um, we recently we finished the book of Psalms and I went back yesterday just to see if I could find some of the passages that, um, that this will be a, a fulfillment of those prophecies, those predictions. If you're taking notes, Psalm 2, Psalm 2, Psalm 18, Psalm 21. So 2, 18, 21. 
24, Psalm 46, and 47. Psalm 46 and 47, I encourage you to read through those. Psalm 76, Psalm, this is a packet, 96 through 99. Awesome, check that out. This, is all, this will all be a fulfillment of that. And then Psalm 110 also. And you, you may be able to find a bunch more. That was just like a, like a cursory look for me. Just wanted to share with you guys to check it out. Kind of cool to see the fulfillment um, of those passages here. And we're going to be a part of that also. And so notice it says in verse 11, and behold, check it out. Jesus is sitting on a white horse. This is not the same person we saw in Revelation chapter 6 when Jesus opened the first seal. You guys remember that? A rider came out on a white... You guys remember that? It was a while ago, wasn't it? It's, thank you, it's the Antichrist, a fulfillment of Daniel chapter 9 because the tribulation will be kicked off by the Antichrist signing a seven-year covenant with the many of the Jewish people, many of the Jews. And so that's who that is back there. We read it here. This is Jesus himself. Jesus came the first time humble, lowly, riding on the back of the donkey, right, from the Mount of Olives coming down. But this time he is the king of kings coming with vengeance, riding on a white horse. And notice his name. We see that a number of times. His name is called, his name, his name. Number one, his name is what? Is faithful. Is faithful. Jesus is reliable. He is trustworthy. He is dependable. Can I just encourage you this morning? He will never fail you. Do you believe that this morning? I think if we believe that Jesus is reliable, he is faithful, he will keep his promises. I won't try to manipulate and scheme and try to make things happen, but I'll trust him. When things get tight, when the budget gets tight, when I got to buckle down the belt, I won't try to finagle and try to make stuff happen in my own strength and own wisdom. I will keep trusting the one who is faithful to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he promised what? That all these things shall be added unto you. Aren't you don't you appreciate faithfulness? Reliability? Do you guys appreciate that? We do in everyday life, don't we? Aren't you guys... Thankful for Amazon delivering their stuff. They're reliable. The mailman. Can I say mailman? Is that okay with you all? Maybe someone will get offended. I don't know. Who cares? The mail person. There we go. Don't you appreciate them? They deliver... Whether it's, you hope, you want them to deliver, whether it's raining, snowing, cold, right? To deliver our bills, deliver whatever. And Jesus is 100% faithful. He's dependable. Not only that, he's true. There's no errors. Listen, he doesn't make mistakes. I mean, just let that kind of wash over you this morning. Jesus doesn't make mistakes. Oh, all the mistakes are mine. Anything good that's happening in my life is because of him. But he doesn't make mistakes. He's error-free. He's not flaky. There's no falsehood. He's the real deal. He, there's nothing phony with him. 
We can take him at his word. He is faithful and true to keep his word. He's not going to change on you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't you appreciate truth? That which is true. With so many lies out there, people telling half-truths, exaggerations, I think it's so nice to know that there's one person who's telling you the truth all the time, and that's Jesus Christ. He is faithful and true. And it says, well, that's what it says at the end of verse 11, and in righteousness he judges. When Jesus brings judgment, when he uh, makes decisions, when he comes to conclusions, they are always right on. That's what righteousness means, right on. And I'm so grateful that, you know what that means? Everything he'll do in your life and in my life is right on. And don't we have that beautiful insurance policy, Romans 8, 28? He's working all things together for good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Isn't that the most beautiful insurance policy, by the way? You guys ever blow it? Make bad decisions? You guys ever make bad decisions? You give it to the Lord. Lord, I'm so sorry I blew it. Can you, can you show me, Lord, that promise that you'll work this out for good? I trust you. You're faithful and true. Everything you do, you judge righteously, Lord. Oh, I'll, I'll bear the consequences of my stupid decision, Lord, but would you work it out for good in my life and to your glory? Not only does he judge righteously, but what else does it say? He makes war righteously. Perfect justice. When Jesus makes war, it's always right on. And let, let me just share this. He couldn't be, he wouldn't be faithful and true and righteous if he didn't judge wickedness. And he will judge wickedness. In fact, he's going to make all wrongs right when he shows up. Jesus will be. So what do we learn from our passage this morning? Jesus is returning. His return is certain. It's visible. He's going to show up. His return will be visible. He will return as king of kings to set up his kingdom on this earth. He returns in glory. He returns as the one who is faithful and true, and he will keep all of the promises that he made throughout the scriptures, not only to you and me, but also to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. All those promises will come true. He returns as a deliverer to who? To, to rescue all of those who call upon his name, specifically the Jewish remnant that will be around. Two-thirds, by the way, it tells us in Zechariah, Two-thirds, during the tribulation, two-thirds of the Jewish people will be killed. Only one-third will survive. And you know what's going to happen. At the end of the tribulation, they're going to realize the Antichrist is not the Savior, is not the Messiah. He didn't come through on his promises. In fact, he turned on us. Jesus is the Messiah, and they're going to cry out for him, and he's going to show up upon their cry for the Savior, and he will come, and he will make war, and he will judge righteously. He will deal with his enemies. He will return as the righteous judge. In fact, look at verse 12 with me. We've seen this description before. He, his eyes were like a flame of fire. Have you guys ever been around someone that when they look at you, it's like they look right into you? That's, I think that's the idea here is that Jesus has eyes that pierce right through, full of discernment, penetrating knowledge. Are you with me this morning? 
He sees everything. He sees right through. He sees right through our invisible masks we wear, through the phoniness, through the facades we put up, through the fake stuff, the fronts we make. He sees right through it all. And I would say also, his eyes burn with love for you. Even with all of our junk, his eyes burn right through with love for us. And on his head were what? Many crowns, many royal crowns. That means he's full of authority. Last time he came on earth, what was he wearing? He was wearing a a crown of thorns. Not this time. And he has a name written that no one knew except himself. So what is that name? That's right, we don't know. And you know what people, commentators do? Commentators, you know, normal spuds from Idaho. You know what his name is? It's, and they try to tell you what it is. And guess what? It tells us no one knows except Jesus. And yet they still, because we want to know. We always want to know things, don't we? We are not okay with mystery. Listen, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to be okay with mystery. There's some things we are not going to know. Are you guys okay with that? Because we are finite. He is infinite. He's the creator, and we are the creation. And, and guess what? In eternity, we're still going to be his creation, and he's still going to be the creator. And there's some things that we're not going to know. Are you okay with that this morning? Are you guys okay with that? Or no? We have to be. There's some things in the Bible I don't know. I don't understand. Pastor, bad pastor, bad pastor. You don't know everything? I don't, man. There's stuff I'm still waiting for further revelation. And so instead of running to commentaries and running to what everyone else says, commentators, it's why not wait upon the Lord and seek him and wait upon him to show us, to reveal it to us. And it may not be the side of eternity. It may be when we get to heaven, we may not, under, not, we may not understand it now, but we may understand it then when we see him. When we see him, we shall be like him. Are we okay with mystery? It's a big deal. Some people aren't okay with mystery. Even with our spouses. Are you okay with mystery? I don't know everything about Tanya. I don't know how her synapses work upstairs or her pancreas, but I love her with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I will lay down my life for her and do. I still love her. I don't know everything about Jesus, everything about the word, but I still love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's, we have to be okay with mystery. Okay, is that cool, gang? We good? No? Amen? Verse 13, Jesus is wearing, what's he wearing? A blood-soaked robe. And so this okay, could be a couple of things. Number one, this perhaps um, is a reminder of the sacrifice that he made for us at Calvary on the cross. Remember, we learned in chapter 5, when Jesus, when uh, John saw Jesus, he saw him as a lamb with marks of, sl- literally marks of slaughter. In other words, Jesus still bearing the wounds that he had from Calvary. So for all eternity, there's going to be times we, we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to see those scars or those, those wounds and be reminded of his sacrifice, the payment that he made to rescue us, to save us, and to deliver us. That's amazing. 
That'll be the, listen, that'll be the only man-made thing in heaven, by the way. It's possible that in some way we will still have a reminder of his shed blood and the price he paid with his robe. It's possible. Or, or this speaks of, it's the reference to when Jesus comes and he squashes his enemies and the blood splatters up, a fulfillment of Isaiah 63. If you're taking notes, check it out later. A fulfillment of Isaiah 63 where the blood begins to flow on his robe. Either way, it's up to you. Um, we'll know one day. Amen? And his name is called, look at verse 13, his name is called the Word of God. Another beautiful name for Jesus. He is the Word of God. What, is a word, what do words do? What do what's that? Communicate. Right? It helps us. It's a means of communication, of expression, of revelation. Jesus is the revelation of the eternal God in human form. In fact, remember what John said in his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. The word of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the, the Father. And so Jesus is the visible expression of the Father. You want to know what the Father's like? Look to the Son, his character, his nature, the way he operates, and so forth. Beautiful to be reminded that Jesus is the Word of God. And then verse 14, the armies of heaven. Please note it's plural. Armies. And so we know because of what Jesus said, we know because of what Jesus communicated that part of the entourage that's coming back with Jesus will be angels. Correct? That's about half the room. Matthew 25, 31. Matthew 25, 31. Check it out. Jesus speaking here, lots of red writing. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, who's the Son of Man? Jesus, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And so we know part of this crew will be angels, holy angels with Jesus, but also there's going to be another group of people. Who's the other group of people going to be? Us, that's right, the bride of Christ, the church, will be part of the armies of heaven. We are going to be riding white horses. We're going to be riding white horses. That means there's going to be horses in heaven. What about Fido? I think Fido's going to be there. What about Mouser the cat? I don't know about Mouser the cat, though. No, just kidding. I got a cat, love him. We're going to be wearing these beautiful 
white outfits. How do we know that? Look at uh, 19, verse 8. Speaking of the bride of Christ. By the way, who's the bride of Christ? The church. 2 Corinthians 11.2, Ephesians 5, like 26 to the end of the chapter. We are the bride of Christ. And these verses tell us that as well. And to her, the bride, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Same description of what those in the army are wearing. Um, and if you flip back to chapter 17, verse 14, it speaks about those, we're going to see in a moment, the Antichrist and his armies making war with Jesus. It says, these will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. Why? For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Isn't that beautiful? Have you been called? Have you been chosen? Yes. Are you faithful? Isn't that beautiful? Jude, the book of Jude, verses 14 and 15. I'm going to, it's one book back from Revelation. Jude, verses 14 and 15. How do you know the church is coming back with Jesus? Well, because the Bible says so. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, speaking of the ungodly and the judgment that will come upon them, saying, behold, check it out, the Lord comes, what does it say? With, with is it up on the scoreboard? The Lord comes not for, with 10,000s of his, who are the saints? We've got some saints in the room this morning. Jesus will come back with 10,000s, that's an innumerable company, of his saints. Why? Next verse tells us to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So beautiful. We get to accompany Jesus. We're going to be watching from behind, right? He's on the white horse. We're following. Is that what you do? Riding? Is that how you do it? I don't know. I can ride a surfboard. Can't ride. But once again, the passage teaches us that the church is in heaven before the second coming of Christ to the earth. Does everybody see that? Very important. How did we get there? How did we get to heaven? The rapture of the church, which I believe happens before the tribulation. At least seven years earlier, we are caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, where Jesus said we, he would take us to the Father's house, to the place that he's preparing for us. Amen? Looking forward to that? The rapture? Jesus comes, takes us to the Father's house, and what happens? During the seven years, the Bema Seat judgment, we receive our rewards for being faithful, uh, motivated by love, serving the Lord. We get rewarded. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Were you guys here last week? The marriage of the Lamb takes place. And then the end of the tribulation. And what happens? It's time to saddle up. And come back to rule and reign with Jesus Christ.
Anybody excited about that? No? Amen. Amen. Right? I'm already raining on earth. Rut row. If you are, you may be investing in the wrong kingdom. This is in our future, gang. This should be like, man, we should be stoked. How do you know you're going to rule and reign with Jesus? Because of the song that we sing when we are in heaven. The song identifies the singers. Revelation 5 They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. That's a great place for an amen. I don't know. I'll say amen. Thank you, Lord. What's it going to look like? I have no clue. We will have our glorified bodies. And we will be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. Why? Because of what he did for us. And so that's the picture. Verse 15, check it out. And so with a sharp sword coming out of his mouth, verse 15, Jesus will bring judgment upon the nations, the ungodly peoples, of this world. And this sword is not like a little dagger, like a hand fighting, uh, like a switchblade. This is talking about a giant Thracian sword, giant, powerful. It's one of those one blow takes everybody out type of swords. And so, and the, the imagery speaks of the Lord's spoken word and the power of his spoken word. Jesus conquers by the power of his word. I think that's so beautiful. In fact, It tells us that in 2 Thessalonians, when he wipes out the Antichrist, it's just with a breath. So powerful, the word of the Lord. Haven't you found that true in your life? You ever been cut by the word of God? It's powerful, isn't it? But it it cuts to heal. Because the Lord wants to bring healing and help into our lives. Not just leave us in that place of being cut open, but to bring healing to our lives with the word of God. Of God, And notice what it says also in verse 15. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Who's he himself? Jesus. He is going to be ruling. Literally that word rule means to shepherd. He will be shepherding, ruling when he comes back to this earth. Who will he shepherd and rule? If we're going to be ruling and reigning with him, who will he shepherd and And rule at this time. Well, there will be believers who survive the tribulation, especially the Jews that call upon the name of Jesus and surrender to him. And all of those people, they get born again. They get transformed, born again. They will be ruled and shepherded by Jesus, and they will reproduce during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. How long is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ? thousand years. Will that be a lot of kids, a lot of people? That will be a lot. The earth will be repopulated with people that have a sin nature. Are you with me? They too will have a sin nature. They too will be in need of surrendering to Jesus Christ in order to be saved. 
Um, these people have a sin nature with a default towards rebellion, just like us, right? What's the default of our sin nature? Following Jesus? No, it's rebellion, doing our own thing, right? Me, myself, and I. It's all about me, selfishness. But then a miracle happens, right? God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in our heart and in our life. And it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Transformation happens. So you got all these people, though, during the millennial... How long is the millennium again? thousand years, the kingdom age. And so Jesus will be ruling with a rod of iron. That speaks of a time of peace, no nonsense, no monkey business. During the kingdom age, Jesus will keep everything under control with unbending, unwavering righteousness. I like that. There will be sin and sinners present, but their evil will be immediately brought to judgment, brought to justice in fulfillment, if you're taking notes, of Psalm 2. Psalm 2. He will rule with a rod of iron. And we're going to learn more about the millennial kingdom next week and then uh, on Wednesday nights. Notice what else it says in verse 15. Don't miss this. With righteous indignation, Jesus alone will trample his enemies like grapes. He, treads, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. That is Old Testament terminology right there that we're reading. And this is the culmination of the day of the Lord. And it's interesting because we just, uh, ladies' tea, right? It was all about Jesus' birth, right? And coming into this world. And, and didn't, did Tanya share the Christmas cards kind of deal? Yeah, she did that thing. And we see Jesus, right, in the manger. And, and some people think he's still in the manger. He is not in the manger anymore. <laughs> he is risen, exalted, powerful. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he can handle business. And that's what he's going to do. The tribulation began with wrath, chapter 6. The wrath began, chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. Last two verses of the chapter it began with wrath, it continued with wrath, and it ends with wrath. And I would remind us, too, that in wrath, God remembers mercy. He keeps reaching out to mankind, doesn't he? During the tribulation, didn't he give everybody a chance? He did all that he could short of twisting people's arms to get them into the kingdom. People sharing the everlasting gospel, angels flying through the sky so no one misses out, everyone heard, everyone, no one didn't get to receive to hear the gospel message. Man is without excuse. If they've survived to this point and they're still shaking their fist at God and being involved in wickedness and they're wicked ones, the Lord is going to deal with them. And so, aren't you glad that Jesus absorbed the wrath for us on the cross? That's why we are not appointed unto wrath. Because Jesus took what we deserved when he hung on the cross, when he hung naked on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins in his life's blood. Suffered, died, and was buried and rose again on the third day. And be sure, he's going to return with fierceness and wrath to bring an end to evil and to usher in righteousness with his kingdom. And we've demonstrated we can't rule ourselves, by the way. There's only one that can rule and always do what's right. And look at verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh, Jesus had his beautiful name written in all caps, describing exactly who he is. When something is in all caps, what does that mean? 
Some of you guys ever text, put all caps? Some, sometimes it's because you're angry, isn't it? So come next Sunday, 7 a.m., we'll help you out. <laughs> I said get home. <laughs> caps means it's important. And what is this? This, this is an expression of his royalty of his supreme authority, his absolute undisputed sovereignty. And I, a couple things here with that. Listen, don't let anyone demote Jesus or devalue him. That's what cults do. That's what religions do. That's what religious systems do, is they devalue and demote Jesus when he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And I would say also a second thing is, I would encourage you and I encourage myself to keep Jesus as the supreme authority in your life. The ultimate authority. Because when he's not, we get in problems. We get in trouble. When he's no longer the absolute supreme authority in our lives. That's what the whole book of Jude is about. Those people that have left that place and are teaching that Jesus is not who he says he is and, and, and showed us who he said he is. And declared to us who he is. And so let me encourage us this morning to keep Jesus as the supreme authority. The king of kings. The lord of lords in our lives. And then verse 17 to 21. Let's finish the chapter up. We got time? Yep. Awesome. Is that amazing? Yeah. Is that, do you get, isn't that awesome? It's like Beautiful. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. Whoa. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their Flesh. So what does John see next? He sees Jesus coming back on a white horse, the armies of heaven dressed in white on white horses. And then all of a sudden, what does he see next? He sees an angel standing in the sun. And this angel's got the volume cranked way up, right? He's proclaiming this and he gives instructions to who? The birds. And what's the instruction? Come and get it. Time to partake of God's great feast. This is not the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
correct? Everybody good? <laughs> it's the supper of the great God. What's for supper? Verse 18 tells us, all those who reject Jesus Christ and the free gift of eternal life that he offers will end up being the meal. Their dead carcasses, their corpses will be, will be bird feed, if you will. And, and here's the deal. I mean, it's real simple. You can either be part of the marriage supper of the lamb or you can be supper. There's really no, like, in between. And in verse 19, John looks, and what does he see next? He sees the, who's the beast? The Antichrist, along with who? The world leaders and their armies, and they're waiting to fight against Jesus and his armies. And so this is what's known as the Battle of Armageddon. Right? We hear people say, this is Armageddon. What's going on? on this is, what's going on right now, current events, is not Armageddon. Does everybody understand that? If you're a guest visiting today and you're like freaking out, this is not Armageddon. Armageddon's not to the end of the tribulation period. And it's not even a battle. Did you guys see that? It's not even a battle. It happens in the Valley of Megiddo. And you can check it out in your Bible maps in the back. The Valley of Megiddo extends from Mount Carmel all the way down to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It's a pretty big space. Some, some believe it extends all the way to Edom as well. You've got all, the land will be filled with all these armies of different nations coming together actually to battle against one another. But then it seems it's a demonic thing that's happening. They will do what? They will turn to fight Jesus. And I would just say this morning, you're not going to win in a fight with Jesus. I think that's a simple application this morning. Do you guys see that? You will not win in a fight with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is a warrior. Oh, he is the Lamb of God. He's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But he is a warrior. How do you know that, Pastor? I see Jesus with a big lamb. I got a great picture of him at home. He's the most beautiful, blonde-haired surfer you've ever seen. How do you know he's a warrior? Not only by this passage, but remember the song of Moses? You guys remember in Exodus when they crossed the Red Sea? You guys remember that? Dry land? The sea came back over the Egyptian army. And remember that? You guys remember that story? And then they made it to the other side safely. God took care of his people, right? And what did they do when they got to their side? They got, they got a concert going, right? I don't know if they had, they had tambourines, right? Miriam and the girls banging the tambourines. And it's like the second stanza, I think it is, as you read down through and, the, and that says in that song, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. How about that for some lyrics? The Lord is a man of war. And he's coming back. And listen, we see man continue to the bitter end in resistance to Jesus Christ, fighting him, hurting themselves and hurting others. And Jesus is going to deal with it. 
And I think this is my own opinion. You can take this or leave this. As you study the Old Testament, I think this is what Jesus' itinerary looks like, in my own opinion. He will come first to Basra or to Petra, where the Jews are hiding out. When they call upon Jesus, he's going to go there first, rescue them, and then go to the Valley of Jehoshaphat, deal with all of these uh, armies that are gathered, and then last he will stand on the Mount of Olives in victory in fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 14. And so that's my own opinion. You can take that or leave it. I don't, we'll see how it rolls out. You can tell me on the way down. You were all wrong, dude. <laughs> that's cool. It's interesting, verse 20, John sees the Antichrist and his sidekick, the false prophet, just get apprehended. And then what? These two actual people will be the first ones cast into the eternal lake of fire. And we're going to read about the lake of fire later in chapter 20. And that is the eternal place for all of those who reject Jesus Christ. After the great white throne judgment. Verse 21, everyone else who shows up to fight against Jesus will be immediately killed right on the spot. The birds will feast on their dead bodies. That's the supper that we just read about. So is that how we're going to finish right there? Birds filled with their flesh. Drop the mic. Let's go have lunch. <laughs> I think there's a couple things, like a couple takeaways this morning. I think number one, um, you won't win in a fight against Jesus. Why am I bringing that up? Because if you don't know Jesus Christ personally, if you've never surrendered your life to him, the Bible says that you are an enemy of God right now. Dead in your trespasses and sins. And you may be a very religious person. You may go to church. You may even have done some, some religious activities but the Bible says, until you surrender, you are really shaking your fist at God as an enemy. And you are abiding under his wrath. And listen, that is not a battle that you will win. You'll never have peace in your life until you come to know the Prince of Peace and surrender to him. And not only when you surrender will you have peace with God, then you'll be able to experience the peace of God that he has for you. That'd be number one. Be on the right side of God. If not, there is a very real lake of fire. And Jesus tells us to avoid that place at all costs because it is eternal suffering. And it's Jesus who saves. He is the Savior. Number two, for us as believers this morning, the power of the Word of God. The power of the Word of God. Of God. Have you experienced the power of the Word of God in your life? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His Word is powerful, powerful enough to create the heavens and the earth. His Word is powerful enough to open the eyes of the blind, to raise a dead man with His Word. With his word, he's able to curse a fig tree. With his word, he's able to calm the storm. With his word, he was able to set free 
those possessed, those oppressed. And with his word, he's going to win the victory over all nations. And again, I want to remind us this morning, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today, it's the word of God that will bring help to any issue in your life that you're dealing with this morning. Maybe it's fear. And some of us struggle with that. Can I remind you of what the word of God says? Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Maybe you come in this morning and you're dealing, you have no peace, no rest in your life. And oh, you're, you, you're a follower of the Lord Jesus. Can I remind you what the word of God says? John 16 Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Maybe you've come in this morning and listen, it's the word of God that will break the chain of sin in your life. You're struggling with an addiction. You're struggling with something in your walk with the Lord. And it's his word that will set you free. Please listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Jesus said to those who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. It's all about the word of God, gang. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Again, maybe you've come in and you don't know Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the the word of God. You've heard his word this morning. Allow his word to wash over you, to cleanse you, to change you. The word of God works effectively in those who believe. May we not just be hearers, but doers of the word of God in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much.